Good morning to all. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church again. Before we look at the, at the text for today, let us go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come to study your word. We pray, Father, that as we study your word, help us not to be just informed in our minds, but may we be transformed so that we can live our life that pleases you, honors you, and brings glory to your name. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. The entire chapter of Acts will be our study this morning. Now in Acts chapter 1, Jesus commanded his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Heavenly Father. Wait for what? Wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit who will empower the disciples to carry out their role as witnesses of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so last week we saw how the disciples in obedience, how they responded to Jesus in unified prayer, how they reviewed scriptures to examine what has happened, which leads to how they restored the apostolic structure. This morning, we continue our study in Acts, and we will be looking at chapter 2. Now, Acts chapter 2 is really exciting. Why so? Some of your Bibles have subheadings, and the subheading for Acts 2 is sometimes known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Immediately, our minds are filled with such questions. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The chapter itself describes miraculous acts which defy human understanding. Without a clear understanding of Acts 2 and how this chapter fits into God's salvation history, we will miss seeing the forest for the tree. This morning, I want to share with you the pivotal account, the fulcrum account, the turning point of, and account of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be talking about three things. If you have your bulletin, you can track along with me. Interestingly, we will see these three points as viewed from God's perspective. As it should be, because Acts 2 is entirely about promise, fulfillment, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. So Acts chapter 2 is about the promise, the fulfillment, resurrection and ascension of Christ. So the sermon outline you have with you, please track with me. Right? The three points we'll be talking about this morning will be the occasion, that it is an event that bears witness of the fulfillment of God's promise. We talk about we talk about the opportunity given by God to man that we can receive and share the richness as a result of turning from self to God, and we talk about the outcome. What is the outcome? The establishment of a community of Christ. So the scene shifts to Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, as the 120 uh, believers they were gathered together in one place. Pentecost is a Jewish festival day that falls 50 days after the first Sabbath, after Passover. So it is a Jewish festival day. It is not an ordinary day. Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks. It is also known as the Day of First Fruits. So Pentecost was one of three Jewish pilgrimage feasts to Jerusalem during that year, which explains why people from so many nationalities are present So if you have your outline, this is how it goes. 
The occasion is to witness the fulfillment of God's promise. Verses 1 to 36. Two points you want to take note of. First is the manifestation and then followed by the message. The manifestation followed by the message. If you have your Bibles, let's read with me together or you can look at the screen if your eyes are good. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse 3, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The passage begins with manifestations. The first question that comes to our mind is, what is the meaning and relevance of this manifestation? These supernatural activities that cannot find easy answer in our human faculty, what are they first? There was sound. Actually, it's a, it's a sound of a rushing wind. The room where the believers were gathered was filled with this sound, and this happened suddenly, contrast text. So there was a sound, a very loud sound. Second, there was a manifestation of tongues. We, uh, we pause here to interact on, the, on this uh, gift of speaking in a foreign language or dialect. So they were filled with uh, the ability to speak in a foreign language. But how was the tongues employed? How was this ability which suddenly occurred to the disciples that opens up communication channels with other people around? How, does, how is this employed? Does the ability to speak in a different language serve God's purpose or man's purpose? Suddenly everybody becomes so eloquent. Serve God's purpose or man's purpose? The answer should always be serve God's purpose. Second Timothy 3.16 says, God's word is given for us, to us, to instruct us, so that we can become more and more like Christ. Now, so how were the tongues used? The manifestation of the tongues was not for self-aggrandizement, that means self-glory. Rather, these different languages perform only one function. Only one function. And what is that? They speak about God's activity. In other words, the different dialects, different languages function as an evangelistic enablement. Evangelistic enablement. So that each person can hear about God's work in his or her own language. So there was sound, there was ability to speak in different languages. Third, there was visual. The distribution of these tongues among the believers are compared to a spreading fire which divided up into bits of flame for each person. Can you imagine that? If we transport ourselves back to the time of Acts chapter 2, we'll, we'll look at each other and say, you're on fire, and so are you. Can you imagine all of us as a fire on our head? The motive of fire, the, the picture of fire, is sometimes associated with divine activity. The most common theological image is in association with judgment, God's presence comes with fire in the burning bush. In Exodus, as well as the pillar of fire, also in Exodus. The Bible says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. God is a jealous God. So we have three manifestations. There is a fourth one. The fourth manifestation was the way the Spirit spread was like fire and it settled, literally set on the top of each believer. 
you would immediately ask yourself, hey, either you will you get bald or you get curly hair. Wouldn't that destroy your scalp? Come on. And even take our lives. How can fire occur on our flesh and not cause serious injury? Maybe. Maybe the answer is because it is a divine fire. It's a divine fire. Recall Moses and the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 to 3, it goes like this, the entire verse is, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. The fire rested on the believer's head, but there's no damage. Because it's a divine fire. How can we be sure then that this manifestation were divine coming from God and not due to our own special ability to confuse the masses, an illusion that somehow came from the craftiness of man? I mean, we saw this manifestation. Yes, those are supernatural manifestations, but hey, could it be coming from somewhere else? Verse 4 gives us the answer. All those present were filled with the Spirit and speak in the different languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Not summoned by the will of the people, but according to the Spirit's enablement. We cannot summon God to, to, to descend upon this church, give us tongue to speak. We can't. No man can do that. God chose the day of Pentecost, a special day. These are from God, the manifestation. Because verse 4 tells us, as the Spirit gave them. Not only are the speaker's words partially or completely beyond, beyond their conscious control, but they are uttered in languages which they have no command in normal circumstances. The apostles, were, Peter will explain in verses 17 to 18, all right, but let's continue. Now, the crowd heard the message of the great acts of God in their own language. It means the disciples were speaking in various languages, which we will talk about later. And the crowd heard each disciples or each of the 120 speaking in their language. So, for example, if I'm a Hokkien, I heard the disciples speaking in Hokkien. If you are, maybe you are from China, you hear it, heard it in Chinese, so on and so forth, dialects and languages. Let's continue to look at the text, verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. When they heard the sound, they came together, the crowd, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? The crowd became bewildered in verse 6. They became perplexed, verse 7, because the supposedly uneducated or lowly educated Galileans are now suddenly able to have this surprising linguistic expertise They were all together 16 different nationalities. Each nationality heard the acts of God in his or her language. Altogether 16. The crowd was asking, where did these followers of Christ, the 120 believers, made out of the 12 apostles, women, men, where did these people suddenly command such abilities? The answer is God has miraculously supplied this ability through the Spirit in verse 4. 
Now, the fact that the crowd asked this question affirmed that what is taking place is indeed a miracle that defies human understanding and explanation. There are 16 different nationalities and all of them heard in their own nationality, in their own language. The fact that this is taking place is indeed a miracle, a supernatural act. And I mentioned that this is God's divine act. Now, this supernatural act underscores God's divine initiative in making possible the mission that God has commissioned. Can you imagine Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Jesus Christ told the disciples, and you shall be my witnesses, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth, or ends of the earth. How are they going to do that? Only 120. Now, this supernatural act underscores God's divine initiative. The divine enablement to be able to converse in different languages underscores this important lesson for all of us. God is using each of the 16 groups of people, the most familiar linguistic means possible to make sure that the message reaches to the audience in a form they can understand. The mighty acts of God, not about us. The ability to converse in a language that is foreign to them. You recall what Moses said in Exodus chapter 4. Oh Lord my God, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is a divine supernatural act. As it takes place, no one can figure out how the Galileans can speak in such a variety of languages. What is the Lord's, what is God's reply to Moses? Who has made man's mouth who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. The crowd was split into two responses. In verse 13, some were not sure what is happening. Others were offering an explanation in mockery that the believers were drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. This is the meaning of the third hour. 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, this explanation about being drunk was not possible because the season for new or partially fermented wine, it means that half-fermented wine, normally takes place in the month of August. Now we are in the month of May. Remember, 50 days after Easter, it's not August. So, <clears throat> fully fermented or partially, even partially fermented wine will not be available until the month of August, which is still two months or three months away. So even if the believers had access to wine, it will not be real wine, but merely sweet grape juice with little or no intoxication ability. Earlier I mentioned that the manifestations authenticate the message that follows. We have the manifestation reflects the divine glory and power of the Holy Spirit. And then we have the message. The manifestation authenticates the divine message that follows. At the end of Peter's citations, he goes up to point Jesus as the subject. And so let me summarize for us this, uh, this section from verses 17 to 36. Now let me summarize for you. Right? Number one, from 17 to 21, God has promised an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right? This is the section from verses 17 to 21. Number two, God had promised a resurrection. This is 25 to 28. And finally, in 34 to 36, God had promised an ascension to the side of God. So, 
Check along with me. This is a summary. I will unpack this slowly, alright? So this is a summary. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit, resurrection, and ascension to the Son of God. I will talk about the implication. Right? In verses uh, 17 to 21, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour my Spirit on all flesh. If you have a Bible, Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. What is important is the first verse, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. What is the implication? Peter went on to say that the only way to be delivered from this horrifying day of judgment is to call upon the name of the Lord Christ Himself and therefore seek God's free gift of salvation. This is a section that uh, Apostle Peter cited from the prophet Joel. The arrival of the Holy Spirit signals that the end clock is ticking. Judgment will come. And the only way to be delivered, to be delivered is to seek God seek God's free gift of salvation in Christ. Now, Peter tells the people that God attested, that means affirmed and approved Jesus' life and ministry in this section with threefold miraculous activities, miracles, wonders, and signs. Okay, miracles, wonders, and signs which God performed through Jesus in their midst. Then followed by Jesus' death and resurrection. These are all God's ordained plan to save mankind. It's not happened by chance. It's not because people start praying and asking God for it. No. It is God's perfect timing and perfect agenda. 50 days after Easter. Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other way, no other person. That's why I mentioned about outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I mentioned about the resurrection. And so this is the implication from verses 25 to 28. The text goes like this. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. This is the words of uh, the psalmist, David. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. This is the key, one, key verse I want you to take number 10. For you will, not, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. I bear upon verse 10 of Psalm 16, but it's the same verse in uh, verses 25 28. And so what is the summary? Peter stresses that King David expresses confidence that God will not abandon his people. God will never abandon his people in Hades. This is a picture of security and assurance of resurrection after our life on earth is no more. And Peter points to Jesus, verse 33, that Jesus being lifted up to the right hand of God and also receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, He, meaning Jesus, He, Jesus, poured out this, meaning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which the people are encountering on the day of Pentecost. So can you imagine that? Jesus Christ was resurrected when he went up to heaven. And from there, Jesus is the one who mediated the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the second implication. The first implication deals with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. second implication deals with resurrection. Right? The third implication. The third implication talks about the ascension to the side of God. Ascended, yes. Ascended to where? Heaven, yes. Which part of heaven? To the side of God. 
The text says like this, The Lord says to my Lord, which is a quotation from David, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Who is holy enough to be seated beside God? Only Jesus. Only Jesus has the intimate connection and equality with God. Yet He's something He did not grasp. Jesus is addressed as both Lord and Christ. Verse 35. In other words, He has full heavenly authority. When we call Jesus Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord means sovereign. He is our sovereign. He is your sovereign. When we call Jesus Christ Lord, sovereign, not we are the sovereign. When we call Jesus Christ, Messiah or Christ, Saviour. So Jesus Christ is both our Lord, that means our Master. Jesus Christ is also our Saviour. The arrival of the Holy Spirit is God's ordained plan. None of us can manufacture it. We gather together and we start to pray. None of us can manufacture it. According to God's ordained plan, according to God's ordained timing, God chose the day of Pentecost. It's a special Jewish holiday, Jewish day that speaks about how God has walked with them, how God has led them, as I mentioned earlier on. So the manifestations authenticate the message that Jesus is God's answer to man's eternal destiny. Jesus had come to this world who, who has paid the penalty of sin by His death, by His sacrifice, was resurrected and had returned to heaven. From heaven, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit on God's appointed day, the day of Pentecost. Well, the Apostle Peter's preaching, according to the Scripture, produced a reaction in the hearers. How did the people who hear and finally understand that Jesus is the Lord and Messiah grapple with this good news? Which leads to our second point for our learning. Opportunity. From God's perspective, it's an opportunity for all of us. God gave us this opportunity to receive and share the blessings as a result when you and I turn to God. Verse 38 talks about repent, be baptized, receive. Verse 39, God's grace is available to all. Now, verse 37 looks like this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, okay, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Repent, be baptized. There's more. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the, our, whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Verse 40, And with many words, He, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, He meaning Peter, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The crowd is convicted in their heart. The phrase, cut, cut to the heart, carries the idea of being humble and having deep sorrow. It's more than just feeling, feeling sorry about it. I feel very bad for what I have done. No. Genuine repentance is more than about feeling bad. Genuine repentance begins with being humble recognizing that, hey, we are nobody, and it's accompanied by a deep sense of sorrow. There's sincerity in the crowd's response. Peter calls them to repent and be baptized. 
they are identifying with their need for Jesus, will you forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit? Repent. It means to make a conscious turn toward God and God's actions through Jesus, not self-efforts. We can't repent on our own. To repent is more than changing your mind about something. To repent in the Hebrew idea is to turn. All right? It's not, I changed my mind. I realized I was wrong. I changed my mind. I better do something about it. No. The idea is to turn, indicating a change in direction. Turn from what to what? From self to God. It is important to recognize that the path that you are taking is one that leads to judgment if you don't turn to God. Because the Bible tells us that, hey, all have sinned. All. And all have fallen short of the glory, the, the very high glory, the high standard of God. Repent. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. This is an individual response. Now, in the time of John the Baptist, the people are called to repent. Right? At the River Jordan. But now that Jesus' ministry has taken place, responding to Jesus becomes the main point. Again, throughout this chapter, Acts chapter 2, it talks about Christ, which will be the centrality. Not only in Acts 2, the entire book of Acts, the entire Bible, and of course, the entire salvation history. Now, it is an individual participation. Right? Now, I want you to know that the Acts of Baptism Water baptism. It portrays a washing, okay? It wash, portrays a washing and signifies what repentance produces. And that's cleansing. Now, take note, signify. Okay, that means it's symbolic. It signifies. Okay, when we go through the water of baptism, it signifies because baptism doesn't save. Baptism doesn't save. In fact, in 2 Peter 3.21, Peter says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means that baptism is a demonstration that, hey, you are now safe because you have turned to God, turned from self to God, okay? Repent and be baptized, followed by, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, at the core of the gospel is the offer of the, of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we become Christian, when we, when we turn from self to God, Yes, we are saved from eternal damnation. We have life in heaven with God. But there's more than that. Apart from the cleansing forgiveness of sin, there's the offer of the Holy Spirit into our lives. At the point when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, there's no need for a second baptism. Now, the Spirit's baptism in this context, signifies primary, primarily the Spirit's washing and consequent presence, right? Again, I mentioned it was signify, okay? Rather than, rather than placing an emphasis on tongue speaking as a required evidence of salvation, that unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. No, that's not true. Because it signifies the, primarily the Spirit's washing, all right? Always still, we think that unless you can speak in tongues, which many attribute as the second gift of salvation. No, it's not true, right? The gift of, of the Holy Spirit at the core is the Holy Spirit residing in all of us. That's why the title of today's sermon, The Indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Community of Christ. Now, the Bible teaching about these three, four elements of repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit is crucial to our understanding. 
crucial to our understanding of what, of what it means to be a follower or a disciple, which our church is going on track. I want to encourage all of us, right, to obey the command to be baptized, not because baptism saves, and I say countless times, but to recognize that baptism is a rite of passage that demonstrates your sincerity to follow Jesus by means of identifying with Christ as symbolized by the baptism. Repent. Yes, I trust that all of us have repented. But be baptized. It doesn't save. Yes, but it identifies us with Christ. Let's not mention that um, verse 39, God's grace is available to all. Now, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is without discrimination. Remember the earlier section when I didn't read to you, but men and women, young and old, all these will receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit falls on those who call on the name of the Lord for deliverance. God's grace has no ethnic preference. God's grace has no ethnic preference. To come to a point of realizing that you need God and to respond to God is an opportunity from God to share in the richness that turning your life around to God can bring. Galatians 2.20, a very familiar passage to some of us. If not, for the rest of us, remember this, this uh, verse, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you imagine what excitement we have? The life we are, we are living is not my own life. We have Christ in us. We have the Holy Spirit with us. I'm not talking about all those rah-rah things that we can do all things through Christ to strengthen me kind of thing. That nothing is impossible. Yeah, nothing is impossible with God, but not with us. Right? But my point here is that the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit resides in us and Christ Himself. We are crucified with Christ. And the life that I live, I live by faith. Christ. Now the call for individual response to the gospel prepares the people. All right, this is the final section. Prepares the people to what? To become what? To become a community of people belonging to Christ. That's what accepted to is all about. This community of Christ is a redemptive window for others to see the gospel being worked out in practical living. How does it work out in practical living? Which is the third point of our study. The outcome to establish a community marked by a community of Christ marked by care and concern. This is from verses 42 to the end of the, the chapter 47. Two things to take note of, the activity and the attitude. The activity and the attitude. Right? We unpack this together. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and hold all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now let's start by asking, what type of outcome? I mentioned, I mentioned about this phrase, outcome. What type of outcome are we talking about? From a human standpoint, you heard of this phrase, desired outcome or preferred outcome. When we talk like this, desired outcome or preferred outcome is the perspective from our own human thinking. Humanly speaking, we have a desired outcome which obviously 
which obviously must come from knowing and studying God's word, isn't it? I mean, this is, I hope this is true with all of us. Desire outcome is not wrong. Prefer outcome also is not wrong. But hopefully it comes from praying and seeking after God's mind. But this is very human. Because from God's perspective, what we call and think desire outcome is God's assured outcome. You have a desire outcome. God has an assured outcome. Divinely speaking, God has in mind His assured outcome without question. But just that we have not seen it. I will just right now, for example, we are moving the next three years. We have not seen it. A preferred outcome that we like to have, but God will give us His assured outcome. And that is what is happening in this closing verses in Acts chapter 2, right? Now, the activity, teaching. The community of Christ is one that is instructed in the centrality of Christ, as well as the preparation of members to share in a new life and a witness. Included, included in the teaching are ethical and practical issues grounded in Scripture. Alright? There will be practical issues, of course. There will be ethical issues. We will go to Acts chapter 6. The, 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 the people have some issue with the Hellenistic uh, widows. Right, then it came on to what uh, they appointed seven people, so on and so forth. Right? There will be issues. But included in this teaching are ethical and practical issues grounded in Scripture. Okay? But it's the most essential one is centrality of Christ. Fellowship. Now, this context describes a shared activity, all right, with overtones of mutual material support and generosity. All right? The author of uh, Acts chapter 2, Luke, points to, a, to fellowship having close interaction, uh, close interaction and mutual acceptance at all levels. For Grace Baptist Church, we use this term intergenerational, something like this. All right? At all levels, there's no rank, there's no uh, position. At all levels, we interact. Breaking on bread suggests the idea of taking meals together including the Lord's Supper, okay? But you take note that they take the meals at home as well. So at your family units, there's also this idea of communal. Prayer. Luke emphasizes that the, the communities as one that is praying, individually as well as corporately. Prayer is obviously and absolutely critical because it seeks God's direction. Prayer seeks God's direction and is dependent upon God. Now a community of Christ we do not work by feelings or intuition, but by actively submitting ourselves to God's leading. Prayer cannot be our weakest link. On Friday nights, Monday, uh, end of the month, or Monday prayer meeting, if you are not in church, I trust that you are at home or in the office praying. Maybe at, a, at a, some leisure area, some meeting, but in your heart is still praying for the work of the Lord in this church. Now, community life is evidenced by four activities. Now, but the question is, what drives them to actively participate in these activities? Is it scolding from the apostles? It is their attitude. The community is moved to sell what they own, possessions and goods, and give the proceeds to those in need. The reason given here is not merely that the believers think that Christ is returning very soon. Right, so sell everything. Right? Let's, jet let's jettison everything that we have. No. Rather, the believers are motivated by concerns for the needs of the community. Within the community, and these believers are described, the attitude is, hey, they are glad and generous in the original language. And this note of joy coming from the community of believers also extends over into praise to God and having favour with those outside the community or all the people, verse 47. Can you imagine if, if a church, any church today, give to the Lord but our face is very unhappy? 
uh, you know, I feel pressurized to give certain amount of money because the pastor says so. No. For them, they are not giving our guilt. Hey, but they give out of glad and generous hearts. And they, they sell what they own, possessions, goods, so on and so forth, and give the proceeds to those in need. Nah? Those in need, can you imagine? That is the kind of community. Verse 47, and the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. 3,000. This is a mega church at that time. Conclusion. God is beginning, he's, he's beginning to incorporate His church. The founding and growing of God's church follows God's blueprint, not man's blueprint. If we have blueprint, yes, please submit to God and let Him fine-tune it. Let Him even change if necessary. God, the promise maker, is also the promise keeper. And so the occasion of the arrival of the Holy Spirit is God's fulfilling His promises made to His people long ago. It's not due to the request of the people praying for divine help that the Holy Spirit descended. No. And with the arrival, the people are given the opportunity to repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the outcome, the assured outcome, as God forms the new Spirit-restored community. Now, have you considered the idea that having been redeemed, we, belonging to God, through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, that God will leave us helpless and to our own devices to figure out for ourselves how we are going to live out the faith journey? The idea that we are to come up with, with, with plans, how to navigate, navigate through life as newborn babies in Christ? No. Holy Spirit, God will lead us. The application. There is an important connection between community life and the favor the community experience with outsiders, yeah? Think of that. Not only among the community, but with outsiders. This kind of engagement has a positive effect on mission and evangelism. God's people are to take the initiative to show community and serve those around them. As God's community, Grace Baptist Church, we are a redemptive window to our family at home, our friends at work or play, our neighbourhoods, and even in Madison and beyond as well. When people come to GBC, what do they see, what do they feel or they hear? Would they see a model of Acts chapter 2 in Grace Baptist Church? Granted, our individualism prevents this development of community, of relationship within, church, within our church. We are taught to have things our way and being able to have our own individual needs catered to is how we measure the success of our organization. Our individual needs and rights come before any needs of the group. But the biblical picture is not of what someone received from the church. Not someone received from the church, but the biblical picture is what someone gives and how someone contributes to the church, which is my application point. Participate, get involved in discipling another believer. It could be someone who is younger in the faith or perhaps a new believer. Contribute. Pull our resources together to reach those people who have yet to be reached. Participate. Contribute. For example, the church camp that is coming in two weeks' time, it is a wonderful opportunity to look out for someone who is willing to be disciple. Another, exam another example or opportunity, Family Day coming in September, it is a wonderful opportunity to get into groups and start praying 
for God to bring you to someone outside of our own Grace Baptist Church community. Right? Church camp, family day, you can think of the third and you can think of the fourth and the fifth and so on. Participate. Contribute. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have shown us your word. Help us, Lord, for I believe that all of us want to be a community of Christ. One that brings glory to your name and draws people to Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.